This episode of Asians Represent is brought to you by our amazing supporters at patreon.com slash aznsrepresent and the OneShot Podcast Network. Join our Discord community by heading to aznsrepresent.com. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to Asians Represent. We are... We're back after like a month and a half. Um, I uh, it feels good to be back. It feels good to be back, and it feels good to making content again. Um, I have done a lot of work behind the scenes on the podcast and getting everything ready, and I'm just happy to implement it. Uh, so that said, I've got Emma and Drew here with me for our first episode back. Our first very casual episode. We're not diving into like. Well, it could turn into something really heavy. But right now, we're not diving into like a super, super heavy topic because I don't want to start the season off with a really, really heavy topic and just be like bummed out. Um, I want to start with something a little... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wah, wah. I mean, we did, we did talk about... That's uh, for next our, episode because chat. next episode's called Why You Don't Need Care Tour. Sure. We we did talk very yeah, briefly in our in our private chat about um you know can we do two hours just on taking naps you know yeah. about the the quality of nap time yeah there was a uh, there was a middle ground that was reached between serious and our casual podcast experience being napping sure um but we are back uh, a couple of announcements before we start uh, first announcement is just for um just for the folks who are watching us live, honestly, because anyone who's listening to the audio and video and watching this on video afterwards, this is going to be old news. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow, I'm going to be at Breakout Con. It is my... Yeah, and I guess we'll do like a, a recap or something or make a video about Breakout Con. But we're going to be at Breakout Con. Steve and I will be at Breakout Con. This is my first in-person con in like two and a half years. I'm petrified of doing this con like i'm really nervous because i haven't been around large groups of people and the tiktok algorithm has just been showing for the like you know a week or two ago has was just showing me anime expo tiktoks and people were packed in there like sardines and that just gives me so 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 much anxiety uh so yeah i'll be at breakout con tomorrow and then part of uh, Sunday afternoon. I'm going to do a panel with some awesome people. I am honestly just kind of forgetting who I'm on this panel with because I've just been so like, oh, I'm going to be around people. I didn't even think about who I'm going to be around other than I'm seeing Steve and I've got a thing for Steve. But I've got a gift for Steve that I've been holding on to for three months um, because somebody sent me a thing and they were like, this is for you, Steve and Agatha. And I said, great, I'll give it to them when I see them. Now, here we go. Breakout con. Now is the time. Now is the time. Uh, time. But yeah, I'm doing a panel on like intro to tabletop RPG podcasting. So I guess it fits. Um, so yeah, that's our one very temporary announcement. Second announcement is it's, it's any season. Agents Represent is not nominated this year, but so many people in our community uh, are nominated. Uh, I've been nominated for two Ennies on two projects that I worked on, Haunted West and Jiangxi. Uh, and then I think on our server, Kat, one of our mods, actually put together a Google Doc with every single person who's in our community who is nominated for an any. 
So head to the Discord server, check that out under the community positive. I'm, I'm right, it's community positivity, right, Drew? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. under the community positivity channel, uh, we'll pin that so everyone can find out who they should be voting for this year. There are a lot of really good nominees, so I'm hyped. I'm really hyped. Uh, that's it for news. Now, in terms of today's episode, I want to kind of break it up into two things. One, what we've been doing while we were on break, because Emma and Drew, you two are regulars on the podcast. You're just, you're just like always mm-hmm. here. Um, yeah, you just show up sometimes. Yeah, you just show up sometimes. <laughs> or, or Mostly around. invited. Mostly know? invited, but you know, sometimes, sometimes you, not. But you won't know. You just you 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 have the link to my Zoom meeting, so you'll you'll just yeah. drop in. Just like, hey, I'm Emma, and then the overlay just goes, and everything gets <laughs> moved yeah. around. Um, but uh, yeah, both of you are here. Both of you are regulars. I want to switch this up because I want to talk about what we've been doing in Asians Represent and outside in terms of gaming while we were on break. And then we'll dive into the topic because both of them are very much related. Um, so in terms of our break from Asians Represent, like I had said before we started really recording, I didn't actually take a break from Asians Represent. I just wasn't on, we just weren't producing the long form podcast. I have been completely redoing our backend database. I, um, I used Notion to track all of the Asians Represent stuff. And I took all of our content and I made a big CRM of every single episode, every single guest, all of the media associated with it, every single show note. And then I have a new system for planning new content. So I did this big migration of all of the Asians represent stuff. Um, And then uh, did a lot of freelancing. And and then I guess we could talk about our home game, but that's going to be the actual topic. Uh, I know Drew... You were actually doing some freelancing too during the break from Asians. Right I know, and I shall say, not much Nothing. about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it was my uh, first uh, freelance project, and I'm I'm very proud of what I produced, and uh, I look forward to people being able to see it. Yeah, I'm. That's that's all I that's think it. I can say. That's all you can say. And I think Emma, you've been doing some freelancing too, and I think the answer is similar. Yeah, and some consultation that, yeah. Yeah, we can't talk about it. Yes, yes. The cool thing, the cool thing is that I can say that there is a project, an ambiguous project on the horizon that has a fuck ton of Asians represent community members working on it. I think half of the, at least half of the author list are folks who have been on Asians represent and maybe even more are just in the Asians represent Discord server. Uh, and this is like a big project. Uh, so I'm hyped. We're going to do a full episode on it. Uh, and then there are a couple of other things that are coming out that I know uh, Emma and I worked on, uh, as well as Jeremy. So I'm really excited. We did a lot of freelancing. And we also played a lot of games. Uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because I got a DM on Twitter uh, from Elijah Bauer, who sent me a message saying, Hi, Daniel. I absolutely love your work in Candlekeep and the podcast. I was wondering if you have any advice for another young Asian creator who wants to write TTRPG settings and adventures. And then I said, you know what? We're going to do an episode on that. And I said, this was like a week and a half ago. I was like, I'm not going to give you an answer now. I'm going to, no, maybe this was earlier this week. Um, Daniel I said, just said, hashtag content. Hashtag content. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what my, that's what my brain said. It was just like, yes, hashtag content. Uh, no, I had already planned it. Um, yeah. but I said, we're going to actually talk about this because for me, 
a lot of like the creating that I've been doing in RPGs has come from my sort of casual gaming sort of uh, activities. Uh, for for me, the home game that I run that Drew and Emma, you are both characters in, both characters, players. <laughs> I, just, I have players and then I have Drew and Emma are just NPCs who come in when I need them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As yeah. is. As is. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, your players in my home game. Um, I'm using that home game and we're like 29. This weekend will be our 29th session. Um, and that entire home game is me just playtesting stuff for what I'm publishing or for Asians Represent. So when Elijah asked me that question, I was like, you know what? We should talk about how to get into publishing your own stuff, playtesting your stuff, and, you know, our home games. Uh, so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to kind of dive into how we take our cultures because a lot of people go to Asians represent not because like Daniel I really like the thing that you wrote about that European castle um nobody does that people will come to Asians represent and be like you know what I'm here to learn about Asian culture I'm here to learn about representation I'm here to learn about things like cultural consulting and all of that uh so I want to talk about how we like I want to specifically just talk about our home game to start because I think our home game kind of frames the subject very well um so for those of you who are not in my home game the rest of the world so the, most, vast, majority so the vast majority of people <laughs> so good start so good, so start. good start so if you're not elite here's what you missed um oh yeah. <laughs> so let, let, yeah let us put together information across the entire campaign let's just generalize and just like try to synopsize every little part of that campaign <laughs> exactly in the next about like well, we can do it in 10 minutes for sure exactly i can summarize that in 10 minutes uh drew's character just constantly gets downed uh and, yeah and, and <laughs> runs... this in other yeah um but so my home game kind of started with uh my friend kendra messaging me and kendra is is not asian um kendra and i used to work together at the rom and kendra messaged me la oh my god it's been over a year oh my god Kendra messaged me over a year ago and was like, hey, Daniel, I want to try playing D&D. Can you kind of like help me out there? What do I do? And I was like, you know what? I'll run a one-shot for you. Um, and we were going to run a Christmas one-shot for Kendra's friends. Like Kendra's friends were Kendra lives. And then they, in true D&D fashion, they all bailed. They, they all bailed, and then the game never happened. And so... When I was hitting that burnout with Asians Represent, I was like, you know what? I want to start a regular game. And I said, true. Because... Emma, do you want to play D&D? Um, I have this friend Kendra, who I also know wants to play D&D because Kendra is um, only knew about D&D from, and I say only, this is actually a lot, knew about D&D from like Dimension 20 and uh, at Critical Role. Um, and Kendra had never played before, but was really interested in the role playing. And so I was like, you know what? Let's put a game together. And then my friend Mark was like, Daniel, I heard you. I heard you doing a D&D &D game. <laughs> this is how it happened. Mark yeah. just slithered Mark, in. Mark slithered <laughs> in. Um, and he just kind of inserted himself into the game. But Mark's like one of my really close friends. So I was like, yeah, come on, join us. And so we had a game. And I wanted to give Kendra, and I guess in a way you, Emma, um, that sort of like 
this is the your out of the box D and D experience. So I ran Ghosts of Saltmarsh uh, as sort of a like a pilot episode of this were a TV show, and after Ghosts of Saltmarsh, kind of took the story into my own setting uh, with a we two. Did, we did a little like short campaign first. What we did. That that's right. Kidnapped kidnap the archpriest. Kidnap Priest, yeah. That's right. I, you know what? I completely forgot about that. And I, I talked. Was a cat named Yam. That's yeah, that's I right. <laughs> I, I was, I was Hobu Hobu the eighty nine. Yeah. Yep. I forgot about that, and uh, things did not go well. But yes, we we ran. <laughs> yes, that's right. We did run that as a test, just to kind of learn D and D, and then we were like, let's do Ghost of Saltmarsh, and. No, first you made the- us play Coriolis. Which was great. It's that's like right. See, I'm not remembering any of this because I'm just like, because no. oh. I'm like, I just <laughs> want to talk about D and D. Yeah. Um, my only experience with Coriolis because of uh, our game was um, me getting one shot, and that was that. <laughs> I mean, that's that happens in D and D too. Some sort of crit table, and I immediately died. It, it's a part of being a, a space mercenary. Sure, sure. It's very common. It's very also, common. It's part of how you play. Listen, I Drew, listen. it's how Drew plays. Listen, don't Is there worry a about it. Run straight at it, see what happens. God God made doors to be kicked down. You know, like <laughs> So so I want to circle back to like the party and then we'll talk about Drew kicking down doors. <laughs> so for me this has been a really interesting experience because half of the players are Asian, half the players are white. And bless my friend Mark. Mark's like the whitest white guy. Oh, um, and I love Mark so much. Um, <laughs> if you, if you wanna, if Mark also works in TTRPGs, and if you folks know about um, games like Seventh Sea, Mark is the any award winning cartographer of the Seventh Sea maps. Um, you can find him on Twitter at Slave to the Hat and buy his own games. Uh, oh my God, I'm gonna remember what it, it's a Sense Eight Headspace. Headspace is a uh, TTRPG inspired by Sense8 by Mark. Now I can continue ragging on Mark. Um, <laughs> so uh, the party is, well, like half Asian, half not. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was how we all kind of insert our own experiences as like, you know, Asian people, maybe trying to introduce themes of our upbringing or our culture into this uh, while navigating the fact that literally half of the table doesn't understand what we're doing and how we balance that. And I think that's a really important part of being an Asian creator in the TTRPG space is finding a way to play test your shit. If maybe like, we'll talk about your, your games too, Drew, none of the rest of your players are Asian. Nope. Like, how do you play test that? How do you navigate like, Hey, I want to play an Asian character. I want to, deal with like i want to make a character that kind of explores the model minority theme um i want to be a character who's like a barbarian and everybody expects me to be really good at being a barbarian and go to barbarian school and get a degree in barbarian barbarism uh but i just want to be a bard actually that's a really good character i want to try that um (laughs) but i want to talk about that i want to talk about our characters or your characters um, I'd love to start with with your character, Emma, because this also relates to how I got art done of of the characters. Because one thing, I mean, you bring this up a lot when we talk about the art, but like, tell tell the audience about your character. Yeah, sure. 
All right, my character, her name is Hibiki. Um, she comes from sort of a, a fantasy Japan that's based on some real archaeology. So she comes from a settlement called Makimuku, which is a in Japan a fairly well-known archaeological site, sort of from early state formation, a um, bit of a hub, but I don't know how much that really plays into it, other than it just gives me some concept of how Hibiki would move around in other regions and know other people and know some of the stuff that Daniel has worked into the very Chinese-based world setting that we've been playing in for a while. So it's like navigating. <laughs> Emma knows some of this from like Japanese stuff and shared things across China and Japan. But like, how much of this is supposed to be <laughs> similar to yeah. real history or yeah, cultural exchange and all of that? But yeah, so I'm a rabbit folk. I'm going to say I. Hibiki is a rabbit folk. <laughs> I am a rabbit folk. <laughs> and then my I, character, just, Hibiki. Just so you know. <laughs> my character, Hibiki, is an Asian Canadian archaeologist. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, kind of, yeah. But anyways, uh, <laughs> I liked rabbit folk because they were kind of underdeveloped. They were released in an Unearthed Arcana supplement and didn't really come with a lot of baggage or anything else plus they're just cute and i liked the idea and then i went ranger because i don't actually like to run straight into danger that's what we got drew for <laughs> and yep. i ended up multi-classing as a druid so her whole deal is that she is and her family uh, specialize in plants and plant creatures and everything natural world so kind of put a bunch of stuff together and this is where we're at yeah i should I... also point out oh sorry go ahead oh no you go ahead drew i'm i also want to point out hibiki is the only character in the squad that is even remotely normal yeah. and even keeled every all True. the rest of us are just wild and you know, <laughs> just out of control yeah, well, I mean, when I was like, you know what, let's make our characters, send me a, a couple of notes. Emma, you sent me like, here's like a modest paragraph. And then Drew was like, sorry, sorry, fam, I am darkness, <laughs> I am feelings. Here's a five-page Google Doc. Um, sad boy. There you go. It just, it just went full sad boy, exactly. Yeah, yeah. my bullet points turned into paragraphs, you know, all, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, so is supposed to be competent uh good natured just generally goes with the flow and was out in the world because her uncle went missing Could be, no he's family like, tragedies or anything you're literally the opposite of every other character in the party <laughs> every other character um oh yeah i guess i'm the only one who doesn't have entire families and people who have been murdered <laughs> <laughs> but what i what i think is really interesting about hibiki is that a you you're using a japanese name um and b you've taken a real archaeological site and you said you know this is the name of where i'm from and that gives me a point of reference to look at things um 
and you have been explicit about, hey, th I want this to be a Japanese analog. So when I'm doing the world building side and I'm talking about the aspects of my campaign setting that are inspired by Chinese mythology and culture, we've done things in the story where I'm like, ah, yes, well, Hibiki, you might have heard of this being named this. Uh, you might have heard of a different name or a similar story, uh, which has been a really cool way of giving you agency, Emma, over, over the lore. And also, like things that are accurate to who I am as a as a person. I can read some characters, but don't necessarily understand what's going on, but I can be like, that says chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or and that's, that's for fish. Like, yeah. It kind of helps because no one else in the party remotely speaks the equivalent language to the place that we're in, but Hibiki can read a little. <laughs> And it's it's actually really funny because it kind of mirrors the experience that you had when you went to China with me when yeah. we were in China. Together. I can read menus and absolutely nothing else. <laughs> like this is a fish. What kind of fish? Who knows? But this is a fish. Or like uh, that's a shoe store. I can read that one. <laughs> and then me being, I see shoes. That's a shoe store. Yeah. Not reading anything. Um, <laughs> so we have like your character Hibiki, and we'll we'll go we'll circle back to the art who is very much based on your academic and like cultural experiences yeah uh and then on the other we have drew's character adrian who was just five a five page google doc uh -huh. sad boy character yeah. with like literally every single tragedy but i will i won't talk about these strategies i want to hear them from you drew sure okay so uh adrian is a a you know european analog character uh who is a dampier because dampiers are sick <laughs> and uh i also wanted to make him a monk and then i was like okay so how do we bridge some of this gap you know because you you obviously get into the age old issue of okay you have these very like asian flavored monks you know, with key or chi, you know, and then you're in, you know, England. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like how, how do you bridge that gap? Uh, and so my idea was, was, well, his mentor was also Dampier, but a Dampier from our fantasy China analog mm -hmm. uh, who had, who had immigrated to whatever the, oh, we never really fleshed out what the country was because it never really mattered. No. But emigrated to his his area and found him as a kid and was like, you know, you're like me, therefore I, I shall teach you. But uh I part of the theme I wanted for Adrian was kind of the brutal misuse of uh those concepts. Right. You know, where it's distilled down to just these really bad concepts of just power so so one of the things that his mentor taught him was the manipulation of of chi but as a dampier with their connection to life how to consume it so like when as a dampier he's you know in D, &D he's got the bite attack and whatever uh he he can certainly drain blood that's like the more natural way that he would do it but he can also drain your chi and use it to store up power and, and you know all that fun stuff 
And so I kind of, yeah, I wanted to play kind of what tabletop role-playing games and entertainment at large does to uh, Asia, which is take some of the concepts and then just brutalize it, you know? <laughs> and that's his, that, that, that's his theme. He is, he is, uh, he is, he is Oriental Adventures the person, you know? <laughs> but, um... Uh, he looks like a blonde Abraham Lincoln. He looks like a blonde he, Abraham he, Lincoln. He's Abraham Lincoln vampire. Not vampire hunter, vampire. And like, if, you're, if you're curious about the art, go on the Asians Represent Twitter, and the PIDs tweet is, that's the art of all four characters. Mm -hmm. And the the deep, deep V on that tunic um, with the blonde Abraham Lincoln, that's Drew's character. Um, and uh, mm -hmm. the rabbit I'm is... I'm the rabbit. You're the rabbit. Um <laughs> And your character is interesting because I, I really like that your character has been exposed to sort of the, the Asian, the fantasy Asian culture through your mentor. Um, yeah. So like he can speak like a couple words, you know, he remembers a few words, little like snippets that his mentor taught him. So he has exposure to, to that country in, in, in various ways, but has never been there, has never interacted with anyone from there outside of his mentor. Um, but like the thing is too, and I guess, I mean, we, we were talking about this previously, um, before the podcast, we've talked about it over the last year in general, I could have just played an Asian character. Like we're, we're, yeah. we're in a, we're in fantasy Asia. I could have just, you know, <laughs> uh, done that. And I, I think I subconsciously shied away from it because I, in a very sort of like mixed and also diasporic feeling, I was like, well, if I represent myself in game as someone from, from UA, which is the fantasy uh, China analog, uh, and I fuck up something that's Chinese, I'm going to feel really bad. You know what I'm saying? Especially <laughs> especially in front of the two other non-Asian non members of oh, our yeah, party. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah <laughs> There's yeah, that pressure, yeah. too. Um, yeah, so there, there's that pressure to like represent, you know, to be an ambassador for an experience uh, or a heritage, and to be someone who knows things. And if I don't know it, that makes me feel bad, you know. And especially when it's something like being Chinese, you know, and your heritage, and that being so close to like my identity, that then feels bad when it comes to my identity. It's not just like I, I messed up on a test and I, you know, put in a wrong answer. I'm like, ah, okay, well, you know. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, I guess there's that pressure of being like, I'm Asian and I'm trying to play in an, we're going to play a game and the DM is making it an Asian campaign setting. Mm -hmm. And then there's the pressure to be like, am I Asian enough? And that really goes back to that to that that comment somebody left on one of our videos. It was like, you're not actually Asian. <laughs> um and just like, yeah. oh, God, okay. But yeah, there's that yeah. pressure of like, am I doing this right? And I think that's something that a lot of, you know, members of the diaspora who want to connect with their culture and publish TTRPG content that is related to that connection. Um, yeah, you often don't feel like, oh, am I enough? Am I going to make myself look like a fake Asian? Um, and you kind of went with the route of, yeah, you know, I've got this. Maybe this is like very much like your your real connection to Chinese culture. Like maybe I've got this more distant connection to 
you know, Chinese culture. In mm-hmm. your character sense, it's my mentor is is Asian and taught me everything. Um, and then now you found yourself back where it kind of all started. Um, I think that's uh, I think that's definitely something I was really eager to talk about on the podcast because there's that. Yeah, we're playing in a home game and we can be vulnerable and we can make mistakes and we can experiment. But then there are folks who are really worried about, um, well, I am now going to have to deal with publishing this and people seeing my mistake. I know that's something that I, I get scared of. And so when I'm writing and I'm working on my setting, I'm like, for me, I'm really cautious about names. Uh, because I know that on one end, the, the historical side of things, I can take care of. Uh, I can make sure that that's really good. And I can make sure that that's as like accurate or, uh, you know, I'm not going to overlap um, as much as I possibly can. Um, so, yeah, I, first of all, really appreciate you being vulnerable, vulnerable about that on the podcast. Because, look, that's a real thing. Uh, another thing is like, for instance, you, Emma, you're, deal- you're, you're trying to bring in aspects of your heritage and your academic background into the game with three other players who aren't familiar with that and the GM who is. But I am not familiar with the fantasy liberties that you're taking or what your goals oh, are yeah. with it. So that's an additional challenge when you have yeah. all of these different agendas at the table. Right. All, one player yep. can't even say the name. One player can't even say the name. Mark. Oh my, Mark. Let's go into it. I, I, let's go into let's it. Let's roast Mark for a second. Yeah. But I will say, like, before we move too far, like, I I play, partly play rabbit folk and, like, cat folk and that so that I don't have to think of my character or describe my character in human terms. Because, yeah. Drew, you're playing essentially what looks like just a regular dude until he starts running up walls and sucking people's Sure, I look like them. a guy that lives in the <laughs> 18th century American frontier. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Like, I have never wanted to play a human or human-looking character and then to make that character Asian like myself. I don't know. It's just too real. Seems weird. Don't do it. <laughs> Not, yeah. you don't do it, me, I don't do <laughs> it. <laughs> Hey everyone! Everyone listening, don't don't play Asian characters. We we heard it here. Yeah. Well, like I understand some of that hesitancy. Like you know, mm-hmm. some of this we don't need things too close to reality. Sure. Yeah. Oh, now I'm just rethinking my entire campaign setting. <laughs> what, where, what are we doing now? <laughs> no, no, no. I um, no, it's true. I, it's. You put a lot of pressure on yourself, but then you're also putting a lot of... You have to think about the pressure that you're placing on everyone else at the table. right? I am putting pressure on you, Emma, hoping that you'll catch the hint that I, only, that I know only you will, uh, will catch. Or if I'm messaging Mark behind the scenes, being like, okay, Mark, I need you to say it like this. This is how you pronounce it. Um, or like, hey, I'm going to describe this town. And I'm going to mention all of these cultural indicators of, of ancient China, hoping that this hint that I'm dropping will be caught by a member of the table, right? 
um, which could be one of you two, uh, or it could be it could be nobody. Uh, because again, I can't assume that like Emma, you're not Chinese, and I can't assume that Drew, you know what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about traditional clothing or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's a challenge, especially when you're trying to playtest and publish what you're playtesting, because everyone at the table needs to be able to understand it. So to kind of go back to this original question that Elijah Bauer asked me on Twitter, if I had any advice for another young Asian creator who wants to write TTRPG settings is think about your audience. Who is this for? Are you trying to write TTRPG content that people say, if, if I'm, I'm Chinese, that people in China can, can consume? So do I want folks over there to be able to get into D&D through my content? Or am I writing Asian-inspired content for folks in the West to consume and folks who you know, may not even be Asian? So you have to think about your audience. Um, and you have to think, well, how can I communicate the nuances of my culture to them through this? And what liberties do I have to take? Or what elements of this real-world culture am I going to omit from the final product? Because A, only certain people may see it or catch it, or B, it just might not make sense uh, to everyone, or I might have to go on in this entire tangent to, to do it. For, for me, it's a big one is with the religion of this world. Um, Chinese mythology, folk religion, and then Taoism, and then Buddhism have all of these figures in them. And when I was thinking of this campaign setting, I'm like, which religion or mythology am I going to pick? Do I want to just have like fantasy Asian Buddha? Um, uh, oh God, uh, do I want to have, <laughs> uh, sorry, do I want, do I want to have, <laughs> do I want to have fantasy Asian Buddha and have to deal with the fact that if I'm going to make the fantasy enlightened one and call this person the enlightened one, do I have to deal with the pressure of trying to replicate Buddha respectfully in a fantasy setting? I personally couldn't handle that. Um, so what I ended up doing was scrapping most of what I knew about Chinese religion, all the different Chinese religions, and went back to the Bronze Age and then Chinese Neolithic to form the foundation of my world's religion because I knew for the most part I wasn't going to offend somebody if I made a mistake and be most understandings of that religion are all by, done by archaeologists and are all really, let's say, speculation right now. Um, so but that also makes it fun. It makes it fun. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. I took the pressure of actually trying to make an analog of my culture and I made this sort of fantastical version of it. Um, and so my, again, my tip is really think about your audience and who you are trying to convey your culture to. Uh, what are you trying to use your culture for? Are you trying to make cool content that you know, hasn't been seen? Are you trying to introduce a market that doesn't have tabletop RPGs, but is, of course, like maybe your your culture? Are you trying to introduce them to teach RPGs through your content? Or are you trying to actually teach people about, you know, your culture? Um, that will really dictate what kind of content you make, how you make it, what systems you use, uh, and, of course, how you publish it. Um, now... Drew, I really, I really find your character interesting. A because like he's he's kind of an asshole, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's kind of an asshole. He's literally the opposite of Hibiki. Adrian is the opposite mm-hmm. of Hibiki. Uh, a, Hibiki never gets hurt. B, Adrian always gets hurt. I'm pretty sure, like, the one or two times Hibiki's been hurt it's is because, because of you. I rolled a natural one and punched yeah. her. Yeah, yeah it, you knocked me down bow. in session because you missed a swarm, <laughs> and I got it hit instead. And this was level one Hibiki, and Adrian has really high strength, and you're a monk, and you're doing unarmed strikes, and it was kind of I'm like a, a moment. and I'm trying to run around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was down to like one or two hit points after that, but like, welcome to yeah, D&D. I stand back and <laughs> yeah. throw things around and, you know, look for portals and things. Mm-hmm. And, and our game's kind of getting into, uh, there's a, a new thing that's happening in our game and it's actually with Mark's character. Um, so we've had one player death and it wasn't caused by Drew. Um, and it was Mark's character, Singe. And Mark's character is actually the tabaxi that you see in the art. And Singe is... Mark had this whole idea about having this sort of like kleptomaniac tabaxi um, warlock. And I was like, okay, well, I have this big meta plot. You're playing a warlock. Do you mind if your patron is in secret, maybe something else? And Mark said, absolutely. And uh, so... Mark's patron was this big villain that is still kind of looming over the party and the, the, the story, right? It's the main villain of the story. And Mark's character actually died in a really great death. Probably one of the, my favorite deaths that I've seen in a D&D game that I've played. Uh, I really liked it. I wasn't expecting it. And I was actively trying to lead the party away from that conflict because I was trying to portray it as a conflict that the party could not win. And Mark was like, hold my beer. I got this. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) And he, he, he killed his character. And it was this really great moment. But then now we had to deal with we've now taken the party deep into my Chinese setting. What's Mark's new character going to be? And so Mark and I went on discord and we were like, okay, let's plan this out. What's your class concept overall. And Mark had this really cool, uh, like uh, he wanted to be a fighter, literally the opposite of singe. And he was like, can I be like, can I be an Asian character? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'll help you with this. And so the first thing for me was, I'm going to pick a name that's really easy for you to pronounce. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll say that is something when I write Asian place names or character names, I tend to, especially if I'm going to have to sit there and listen to it, I avoid R sounds in Japanese because a lot of people can't say the right. <laughs> and that, that's another challenge, right? When coming up with names, yeah. you have to think about, again, that audience. Um, so we settled on like a really, really simple name for Mark's character. We had his concept and I said, well, what's your overall narrative concept? And he's like, I just want to be, I want to be a former military engineer who was essentially exiled, cast down, lost all of his, 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 his land, his wealth. Um, don't know why, but let's work something in there. And then so 
I made his character, I helped him make his character literally a part of sort of the institution of the land, an ex-military general who uncovered a conspiracy and one that is related to the main plot of the surviving characters. And then we got the group together and then... By him almost killing us all. With by all him almost story. killing everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and then literally two sessions later, I made the mistake of splitting the party. Uh, <laughs> nah, no mistakes. No, no okay. Mistakes. There was no mistake there because narratively it was interesting. But the problem was in our group is if one person can't show up, we could still play. But if two can't show up, we, we stop. Mm-hmm. But we had split the party evenly. And if one person doesn't show up, one player is left with no, nobody to help them. And mm-hmm. Kendra made the mistake of Kendra had never done a dungeon crawl before. And I think Emma, you haven't done one either, but you're not yeah. really playing a spellcaster character. And Emma literally no. burnt through all of her spells in the first room of the dungeon. Kendra did, yeah. Yeah, Kendra burnt through all of her spells. I do. My character has a lot of magic, but don't need to use it. <laughs> I don't know. Adrian's got two hands, and he's still got them. They're still good yeah. to go. Like you know. it's true. Um, but yeah, we got Mark's character in there, and it's been going great. Uh, I was honestly, I wasn't worried because it's Mark. I was just worried because I had never worked with another player who isn't Asian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To try he said to... his character's name was Jin. I was like, oh, is it now? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I when, when he said that, I immediately like squinted. <laughs> I was just like, hmm. All right, let's see where this one goes. And I, well, I think like, he's been doing a killer job of it. I did do a killer a job. Doing fine. Establishing in a very sound and reasonable way that his character is part of that culture in that nation he doesn't necessarily have to act apart the entire time yep. because then he just become like that's just the characteristics of Jin, who is this person yeah absolutely it's you know what, what the hardest part of actually making that character with, with him was he was like i really want to play a dwarf because he wanted to like sort of min max mm. as best mm-hmm. as he possibly could in 5e it's like i want to play yeah. a dwarf how do dwarves work in your setting and i was like they don't they don't <laughs> and I, well, I told him i was like they don't he's like yeah but then what can i do and i was like in my head i was like i am not leading this conversation into like koro bokoro like realms no. i'm not i'm not going there and i was like here's just what and this is what i said because again when you're a playing with someone like like kendra who is not asian and also new to D, when i say hey here let's use D beyond not sponsored let's use D beyond and make a character well if somebody's gonna pick a furbolg which is willa that's kendra's character they just kind of have to we have to work them into the world now luckily kendra's character came from the land near salt marsh and is now a tourist in this land uh but mark's character was not so we had to kind of talk about how we would work in mark being a dwarf in my setting and uh, in a very like in the D and D way, dwarf in the sort of that European sort of coded um, dwarf, like Gimli, like Gimli. And so yeah. we were like, okay, well, you know, you know about stones and stuff. Let's make that a part of your engineering background, right? You're a military engineer who rose up the ranks. Let's do that. Uh, you're super stout. You were you were a soldier. Can we just say you're a really short and stout Asian guy with a big beard? <laughs> and that's what we kind of settled on. We we're like. You're just a short and stout Asian guy, and you happen to have these things that 
in fifth edition D&D, we might call a dwarf, but you're mm. a human. Um, and it, that was actually the hardest part was just trying to make that fit. The, the thing that gave him the mechanical means to play the character he wanted to play uh, was like the hardest part was fitting that into my Chinese setting. Um, and it ended up working out. Um, and so far, so good. Uh, I am really grateful for these characters because I think it's been a really interesting way of testing out the accessibility of my setting. Um, and of course, like getting to know, you know, everyone else, right? I think it's been a lot of fun. Um, mm -hmm. We had some big plot reveals where when we finally caught up with Hibiki's uncle, it was revealed that Hibiki's uncle had killed Adrian, Drew's character's mentor and father figure. Um, that I'm still so hasn't mad. been resolved yet. I'm so mad. <laughs> um, and, and because you gave me all of these like sad boy plot points, you're like, my yeah, wife's yeah, yeah, my yeah. wife's missing. My the only person who connects with me, my heart and soul are are Christina's, but she's gone. Um, no. So obviously, what you got to do is take the most far removed and easygoing character and put them in direct conflict yeah yeah put them yep. in direct the most conflict. intense with the most chillaxed out person i yeah. we have ever met and then you and know. then we also had willa kedra's character who kedra's like i just want to so if you look at the art it's like i just want to play a hippie furbolg who just smokes a lot of weed and just like feels the grass between her toes and picks mushrooms and is it talks like this but also, I'm very looking unfamiliar with the bad parts of the world. I'm very naive, and I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. Um, I'm looking for my brother. He left our commune, and I can't find him. Well, he shows up wearing like Chinese garb in Saltmarsh. Within like the first four or five sessions. Yeah, too. looking yeah. to kill you. Looking to kill you. And she has to kill her brother, who's been sort of seduced by this cult, and so the cult in a wuxia sense. Um, seduced by this cult and now she's just like I'm just this like edgy ex-hippie who wants vengeance and Drew's like I'm gonna corrupt this character yeah well definitely I think the core of I think the the, the narrative of the relationship between Willa and Adrian is will Willa turn him towards goodness before he turns her towards evil because he in his in his realm where his life is sort of consumed by by violence and, and that sort of trauma vengeance and eye for an eye is the state of the world that is natural you should do this you know uh if for any reason but just like you just can because you can yeah uh you know whereas obviously it's not a not a great way of looking at anything you know so hopefully I'm playing a character that I don't I don't want him to get half of what he wants. You know, like I don't <laughs> I want him to be a better person and we'll see if he can get there. You've also messaged me on numerous occasions being like, I'm okay with him dying. Listen, yeah, well, given how I play him, I gotta be. You know? Yeah, but he it's has, getting it's getting to the point. Too many rooms. But it's getting to the point now where your character is very difficult to catch. Because yeah, you have absolutely bonkers movement speed. You're part, part of this is my fault for giving you certain things. But you have absolutely <laughs> bonkers movement speed and you make no noise. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. And I can yeah, run up walls. I can yeah. run across water. I'm I'm this I'm so I'm the, the stealthiest I'm, I'm, Jesus ever. I can sprint across water I'm, I'm, silently. I'm Wuxia Abraham Lincoln Blade. 
That's that's who <laughs> yeah. your character is. The thing is. is, though, Adrian can't swim, and yet has jumped headfirst into who knows how deep a water twice now. <laughs> and, and, and this yeah. is after this is after Drew. You've been like, no deep water. Yeah. No okay. Water. So, hey, listeners, uh, I fear water to a great extreme. And yet somehow water comes up and my immediate reaction is to dive into water. Yeah. Uh, not in real life, but as a character. Uh, yeah. And Twice. then and then I go, what am I doing to, like, <laughs> to myself? I hate this. Yeah, absolutely. But it's been it, but it's been good. Um, yeah. I have really liked seeing you play this character. And then, you know, when Adrian inevitably exits the 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 party. Because I by think whatever means by whatever means I think you're leading him down that that path. I'm interested to see what character you're going to play next. Um, yeah, I think I have said you want to try out the class that I, I'm making. Oh yeah, that is true. That that part as well as whatever character I make next will be uh, very much a a UA a fantasy China character. Yeah, you yeah. know, and I'm I'm constantly thinking about that. Like, what is the best time? for your character to make an exit so that we can introduce a new one. for Sure. You. Sure. Um, but that said, I, I feel like we should go to some questions from patrons. Um, so the first one is from, let's do this one uh, because we could talk about our Pathfinder game as well. Uh, Darok asked, do you GM differently in a home game versus a podcast? And if not, what are some things you do in each that you wouldn't do in the other? And I'm going to expand this question to, not just GM, but in terms of being a player as well. Mm-hmm. So what yeah, do you do differently? <laughs> uh, what do you do differently as a player if you're playing live? Because I know, Emma, you've done a couple of actual plays live now uh, versus our home games. I immediately could think of my Pathfinder character because my Pathfinder character is a character I would never play on a stream or a podcast. I, I think I'm pretty consistent. I think also partly because I am still new or who knows. I might play for 20 more years and still do the same thing. I play a lot of characters that just roll with it. They're there for no reason. And they just drop a lot of jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Or I drop a lot of jokes. (laughs) And therefore they do too. Therefore they do, yes. Some some of them are coming from the character. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think for for me, if I'm on like a stream thing, I, I have like the opposite of you, Drew. I feel like the pressure to play an Asian that I must play an Asian coded character. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to make an Asian coded character and it's gonna, I'm going to try to draw. If it's like a D and D thing, I'm going to be like, Oh, I'm hunting the immortal. Like, like the last stream game I played, uh, was this like everyone's level 20, like a huge power fantasy. And mm-hmm. B Dave Walters was the GM. And I was like, I'm a level 20 monk. Um, and I'm hunting Bach Bay because I just felt like I had to be on brand. I had to, um, but in like the home, like my home game, obviously, you know, the D and D game I run is very much like, I'm going to publish this stuff and I want to test it out, but our Pathfinder game, I'm literally playing (laughs) the most ridiculous. (laughs) My character is so ridiculous. And like, (laughs) so we're at another game uh, with Jeremy Pixel Grotto uh, and, and Jackie, um, and it's a Pathfinder Second Edition game. We're playing March of the Dead. It's a it's a it's a pre written adventure, and my character is just a fucking weirdo. My original idea was 
oh yes, I'm this scholar from Tian Sha, like the basically <laughs> the um, Pathfinder's Asian setting. I'm a scholar from Tian Sha, and I was tasked. The emperor basically said, "You need you need to figure out the." Uh, the key to everlasting life and keeping my body young, very much like the first emperor of China was like, I need to be immortal because I'm afraid of death. And so my character was experimenting on his body, like like tattooing himself and literally performing alchemy on himself. Uh, and he created the perfect vessel. And my idea was that his vessel was stolen and his soul was stuck in a doll. Um. And I picked Poppet as my ancestry. And so I'm this Tiansha scholar, this Tian scholar, who was in the body of a doll, and I wield a gun blade. I'm basically Woody from Toy Story with a Final uh-huh. Fantasy gun blade. And yeah. I was like, oh, I've got this serious story about him trying to find his body. And then as we were playing, I was like, I just want to chill. I don't want to have to think about this like serious Asian story. So now I'm just this unhinged doll with a gun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We also my, my, my name is also directed you toward it. <laughs> you directed me toward it because my name is also um Tapio. Tapio, and it's not a like a Chinese name. And I was like, oh well, Tapio. And I, I looked it up on like Wikipedia and uh Tapio is a Finnish forest spirit or god. And it said hunters prayed to him before a hunt and prayed to the nut god after the hunt. And then we just gravitated towards the nut god. And then literally literally everything that Tapio does is about the nut god. And it's just so, (laughs) Tapio is just so crude. And I love playing Tapio, but I would never play Tapio on a podcast or a stream. And like, yeah, there, there's too many crude jokes to be publicly so crude. Yeah, but also like Jeremy, well, you you partly did this to yourself. You forgot we had a game, and so we're running behind. And so yes. for the first session, you didn't show up until like two hours in. Yes, so we had to make up a reason why Tapio wasn't with us. He stuck him in a backpack. And Jeremy said like, there's this bit of lore where puppets, because they are like animated inanimate objects essentially they can't always tell when something else is animate or inanimate so we just said like tapio's in this bag right now having a conversation with a tea kettle and then daniel showed up and tapio appeared (laughs) Tapio immediately jumped out the backpack with a gun and and, and killed the bad guy (laughs) yeah but now also tapio has to keep that up and have random conversations and and i've kind of now worked it into the story of the longer we tapio is his like vessel name um the longer he is separated from his true body the more unhinged he becomes and so i'm kind of leading into the fact that he is a character who at one moment is like extremely scared or to to another point where it's just like Hi, Drew, and I'm just clinging to your chest, looking you dead in the eyes as you're about to sacrifice yourself. Like, I got you. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's a character I would never play on a stream because A, I am not comfortable with the audience seeing me make all of those really, really crude jokes. And B, it's just like, I know you folks so well, and I talk to you folks very regularly that I have no problem playing that character with you two, Jackie and Jeremy, but at the same time being like, hey, let me know if it gets over the top if it goes if I go too far with it. Right. Um, 
So for me, that's that's it. I don't know. Oh, what's that noise? Um, who knows? Doesn't matter. That was that was something on the street outside of my place. I don't wow. know what it was. All good. But like, <laughs> Drew, what about you? Like, is is there an aspect of your characters that you would never do in a stream game or a podcast like Dungeons and Asians: Revenge of the Mountain Orchid? Um. I know that in some characters, uh, not recent, and I wouldn't want to necessarily go into these sort of themes uh, nowadays, but, you know, in, in the past, there there were characters that went into certain themes like mental health uh, in a very, very dark and, and negative way that um, I don't know if I would ever put on a stream, you know? Yeah. Arguably should not have done it in the the home game to begin with you know but but yeah i mean to your point earlier there are there are ranks of severity you know in the sense of like basically any streamed game is gonna be okay if you have some some jokes that are more crude you know and so in that sense it's not necessarily about the specific joke although it can be right, right. um but also just you know the amount the the incessant amount of those jokes that we make in the Pathfinder game the sheer game. quantity, yeah. the sheer <laughs> quantity. <laughs> literally and, and, and lack of and lack of quality and J- yeah. Jeremy does this thing where he takes screenshots of us for like the, the memories and all of them I'm just doubled over laughing and you just see the top of my head for most of the time because I'm just oh, I just get to yeah. I just get to mm-hmm. be a little unhinged in my character one thing that I was thinking about when this story for your characters drew is not like a mm-hmm. a thing you wouldn't do be like for like personal reasons but it's something that i was thinking about when it comes to a production Mm. uh so your character you uh, once every couple of sessions unless you you're constantly in danger like i'm gonna go murder people while everybody's asleep and then we have a whole other side thing where you go and murder people while everyone's asleep and then hijinks happen um something like that is something i would i personally would caution against in like a stream series or because then the rest of the table is kind of sitting there and the audience is watching one person sort of interact for a very long time. Yeah. I think in a stream game, the best way to go about that, if you even do it to begin with, mm-hmm. is to just say, I go do the thing and everyone goes, okay. And we go on to the next day, you know? Exactly. Um, or, or just keep it very brief. Like if that ever comes up, you and I, from a production standpoint, have the understanding of this can take no more than five minutes. Yep. Um, or, but in the home game, you can say, yeah, I'm going to go on a, I'm going to go on a, on a, a feeding spree and yeah. I get to drop a big sort of plot bomb on you because you're like, you know what? I'm going to do something while the other players are asleep. And then I'm going to say, you know what? Fine. Here's some drama mm-hmm. for you. Uh, yeah. So from just a, just from just a completely narrative standpoint in terms of what are you presenting to the audience? You know, the wider the audience and the less you know each of them personally, the more you have to be not necessarily generalized, but concise, Mm -hmm. you know, because you don't have the patience of players at a home game that have the understanding that it is uh, sort of a a tit for tat thing that, oh, yeah, they're going to take 30 minutes doing this. But I also know that they would also do that for me if I had a cool scene that we could do. Um, but the audience, like on Twitch or on YouTube or wherever else, or uh, they don't have an understanding necessarily. 
Um, and so you, you want to keep that in mind. I, I will say in terms of like representation, the, I guess, console, you always have to think of the consequences of, I guess, messing up, mm-hmm. you know, and messing up is such a broad term, but when it comes to representation, if I misspeak, uh, something about, you know, like Chinese culture in our home game, that's an incredibly quick remedy that doesn't really matter. But you can't necessarily, from a production standpoint, on a Twitch stream, it's harder to just go, let's run this entire thing back, you know, or delve into why that's incorrect or things like that. And so there's there's certainly a lot more pressure to be... There's a lot more responsibility that you have, whether you're a player or a GM, Mm -hmm. to get it right, which can be very overwhelming. Yeah, I was actually talking to, when I was on Navarra's podcast, Mm -hmm. um, when I was on Navarra's podcast, we were basically talking about, like, you know, as as creators of color, you really don't get the opportunity to mess up. You don't get the 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 the, the white person card of being like, oh no, I made a mistake. Here's my apology. Um, you make a mistake, and that's kind of it. And that's an immense amount of pressure. Even though it at times it's like, yeah, we can all be like, you know, it's so it's okay to to make a mistake. It's okay you messed that up. But then there's that looming feeling that there are all of these other, the old guard who's like, ha, Asians represented. You don't even know your own culture. What you've said about Caratour isn't even right. Um, so there's, yeah, you're there's, right. Yeah, there's a lot of the potential for gotcha moments and bad mm-hmm. takes. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's, it's just, it's a lot of pressure being that representative of Asianness. It's, it's a really hard thing to like put on your shoulders and it really inf- influences what you're going to do on a stream or a podcast or what you're going to even talk about. Um, it's tough. It's, it's really tough. Um, but that said, let's, let's go to another question. So uh, I think we answered this one already, but if you've got something that you want to add to it, uh, most honorable, most honorable times two, uh, Epic Impulse, one of our patrons, uh, asked, what aspects of your home game are you most proud about in terms of what your players bring to the table and the world you've created? Now, I'm going to, again, extend this to the players. What are you really proud of in the game when it comes to introducing your own lived experiences or, or culture or academic background into it? Um, I'd, I'd love to go to you, Emma. Like, what, what are you proud of when it comes to, like, Hibiki and what you've created with Hibiki? Yeah, that's tricky. Like, I feel like at our table, things have just happened quite easily and naturally. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I've put actively put effort into making certain things happen. It's more like I've just had the space to do things without confrontation or questioning. Where it's just like, this is my character. This is her deal. And everyone's like, got it. Cool. So Emma's proud moment is I found a group that respects me. <laughs> I, my proud, I guess my proud moment. No, that's not true. The Emma said we, it. We, we don't, don't, we don't, don't respect, respect Emma. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't play D and D until I found a group of people who <laughs> made me want to, <laughs> but that's not, that's not a good message. Like, <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. it's not something I'm proud of. It's just, I think, fortunate for me that this is how I came into it. And so haven't had that problem. Like, I don't know. It was never a question about whether or not I would make my character in some ways Japanese. Yeah, you haven't had the, uh, I had this one where I was at a con playing Tales from the Loop. And this one player, like this this white dude, this was like in like 2017, this like white dude was, tried to fight me over the fact that I wouldn't make my character an Asian computer nerd. Oh. And this was at a con. Yeah. And it was, it was the weirdest experience. Um, but I'm glad you, you've never had to go through that. Uh, yeah. Now, what, what about you, Drew? What is your, what is your proud moment? For Adrian, um, I would say it's Adrian on paper is not Adrian in practice. Uh, and I know I've talked to you both of you about it before. Mm-hmm. Adrian on paper was way worse. Like, God, he was, just, he was he was terrible. A terrible, just completely evil asshole, which he still can be. But it's like m- most most people who have played for quite a while in Dungeons and Dragons or in Pathfinder or in Coriolis or just anything doesn't matter what the system is. It's just a facet of I think TTRPGs has played with people who are playing dark and edgy, aggressive, or just bad, evil characters, and no matter what, always try to pick the worst option for everyone at the table (laughs) you know but it's like you can't you can't do that so like when i when i was writing adrian i was writing him with the understanding that uh this is gonna have to change this is my idea now but when we when we get to the table let's see what the dynamic is and most likely let us scale this back yeah, um, immensely. So like, now yeah. he a lot is. Of the characters were super friendly. <laughs> yeah. So he he is not. He can still be an aggressive um, asshole about things, but he's not really that way to the other care the player characters. He gives them reason to to be around. You know, because you know, many people have played in uh, groups where one character it's just sort of like why are why are they here <laughs> why are we allowing yeah, no, this nobody gels this, this serial killer to be in this party you know um yeah. so i i don't know i guess i'm just i'm i'm proud of the flexibility i had to ju- and the the foresight i guess to know that and to just remain flexible no matter what because at yeah. the end of the day at the end of the day no matter what the character concept is you also need to keep in mind the the party concept and what you all want that party to be or to become. Yeah. And that is just as much something to stick to as the character itself, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think... It doesn't help. Like, yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Emma. Adrian's like, I'm gonna go be moody by myself and, like, Will and Hibiki are like, we're coming too! We're gonna come along! <laughs> Wait for us, Adrian! They're... they're <laughs> There have been there there have been moments like when when Adrian found out that Hibiki's uncle 
killed yeah. his mentor. Mm -hmm. He went off to brood, and Willow was like, "Well, I'm coming too." Yeah. And they had a whole talk of him just standing there upside down in an alleyway, clinging to the ceiling, just arms crossed, and up just and down, talking brooding. at him constantly. Yeah, looking like the most mad Spider-Man ever. <laughs> just <Yeah. laughs> uh, yeah. so, yeah, I, will, I don't know. I will say, like, not necessarily proud, but I am glad. And also, this is again such a like good group to play with is. For some of Koyuki's history and personality, you, I hadn't really written him out, so Daniel, you tried to work in some plot points. Oh, and then we, we retconned a thing. Are you talking about that and thing? Like, I, it bothered me, but I could have just let it happen. But then I'm like, no, I gotta say something. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I don't think how I imagined this character or something that he would do. So... That's going to like be a problem. Yeah, I'm I was like, gonna actually bring said, that up. Got it. <laughs> so, so for context, everyone uh, about this story. So we had established that Koyuki, which is Hibiki's uncle, is is very is kind of like Hibiki mixed with Willa. It's kind of just like I'm just gonna go here and ooh plants. I'm gonna go study this thing. He's, he's kind of like the accidental the hero, professor. In a lot of ways, but he is one of the most skilled archers in, from the area. So easily distracted, really only cares about plants and plant species, but can pretty much shoot anything at any distance whenever needed. And, and so the the backstory that I had, because I didn't have a lot of detail on Koyuki, all I knew was that I wanted to have. I wanted to resolve that part of your character's backstory. I wanted you to catch mm -hmm. up to Kuyuki, but I also wanted to make it relevant to the plot. Um, yeah. And I was actually going to say this was one of my favorite, like, proud moments from what happened at the table was I was like, okay, well, you told me that Kuyuki was a hunter and I need to somehow get Kuyuki from your Japanese analog over to my Chinese analog. And so I was like, well, it makes sense. You know, a wanderer kind of come and study things. So I had this backstory where Koyuki is looking for this magical bow and arrow. And I wanted it to be the bow of Hoi, uh, like the, the Chinese sort of like god of archery, like the Lord Archer. And, but not because he wants to kill things and wants a dope magic weapon, but because this bow and the special arrows it fires will literally guide him to the immortal islands, uh, which is this paradise that these five, actually no, four, damn, rip. Um, these, <laughs> I just realized, there it is, because I, I showed you, because we now discovered that one of them was dead, the dragon. Right. Yeah. Um, these four demigods live on. It's this beautiful paradise surrounded by storms. It's based on a, something in Chinese mythology. And on the island, there is this massive grand mulberry tree. And the lunar queen built a house for her most benevolent children to live after they had taught humanity how to basically be good. Um, that all went to shit. And they retreated to the immortal islands to live in exile under this mulberry tree. And my idea was that, oh yeah, like I have this meta plot. I want to get the group to go to the immortal islands to get their godlike weapons and have this epic level 20 big battle sort of thing. And I was like, I'll take this like absent-minded professor. He was like, I want to find cool plants. And yeah. 
have him find the bow and is now looking for arrows. Um, and he's just like, I, was, I had this idea of he's just sitting in a field, just firing different, having stacks of different kinds of arrows, just firing them all, trying to make them work. <laughs> this could be the arrow. <laughs> this could be the arrow. And he's just firing them. And, um, but when he arrives in this, this port uh, or nearby, um, everyone sees that he, he's obviously a hunter. And you had established that folks from your village are good at hunting and gathering. So I, I had this idea that, oh, yeah, they have like a legendary reputation. Also because Kendra's character, Willa, her backstory was that she hired you to help her find her brother. Yeah. So if we were all the way in like salt marsh across the, the sea, your reputation would certainly, your, your folks' reputation would certainly be in my fantasy China. So the folks see this like rabid folk hunters like, oh, this, this motherfucker's a killer. And it's just like, <laughs> I like plants, picking flowers, pressing them. It's like, and then, uh, and then the backstory was, there's a vampire in this town. We need you to fucking kill it. And this vampire was Drew's character's mentor. And being a skilled hunter, he kills a thing, but has never seen a vampire before. Because they've just never seen anything like this. And so what I had was, I'd established that after he killed this, um, the crown prince was like, you are a hero. And gives him this penthouse suite in the nicest hotel uh, in this port metropolis. And he just lives in squalor. It's just surrounded by books and he's just studying everything. And wards. And, and it's just wards yeah. everywhere. And, um, and there was one scene where I was like, I need to reveal that I need to incite an emotional reaction out of your character, Drew. And mm. when everyone was looking through his notebooks about you know, some, some of the backstory that I won't say because it's actually a Dungeons and Dungeons spoiler. Um, I had this scene where you come across a notebook where he had made sort of field illustrations of a dissection. And after that scene, we were like, I don't think he would do that. He's just all about the plants. And we just yeah. fully retconned it to the because point where I he killed this thing. red during that session. It, it, presented him more as like a van helsing style like he mm -hmm. knew what he was doing he hunted down the vampire and murdered him and then pulled him apart to see how he ticks and i'm like from my my concept of the setting is well hibiki specializes in plant creatures and was taught by koyuki like that mm -hmm. was her mentor so he why would he know anything about this or have any of that you know yeah going on just because he's here now that just didn't seem right and so yeah we, we so we changed, changed it so we changed it to the fact that like huh it's a vampire and you happen to be good with a bow i so shoot the like, thing shoot it! And he's like, okay. <laughs> okay and just one taps the vampire um, and that he oh, didn't he, the autopsy. Sorry, he didn't. He didn't sorry, autopsy. Drew. My he, father figure got one shot. He got I'm one so, shot at. I am so mad right now. What well, the, oh. One shot after being chased down by the entire time. There was a mob, and, and they were like, yeah. he's getting away. He's so fast and vampiric. <laughs> and vampiric. <laughs> and then they were like, you, expert rabbit folk hunter, can you shoot it? He's like, shoot what? That thing. Okay. One shot. That guy looks like spent a key point to dash as a bonus action. Get him! But it's like it's like that. Like you see this vampire running, it's just like a pew, and then and then it's over. I'm so upset. 
Um, like <laughs> I'm, I'm emotionally devastated now. <laughs> and so, like, that didn't really change what Adrian saw or what Adrian. No, thinks, yeah. But it made it more in character in line with what I'm thinking about, like my character, her family, the people in her life, the place that she comes from, and the things that people would do. So, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, I uh, think we reconned it from adrian's perspective something about like i think when he was rifling through the text because i think he's he's the one who saw it right yeah, he saw it uh he then instead saw like a journal entry that was just like uh i killed this I, thing I, I i killed this thing i don't know they called it a, a vampire and it was in this town and i'm like that's my town like, <laughs> hey <laughs> hey and he looked that's like my this vampire dad. and there was like a description yeah. and it was just like but he didn't know that he one tapped it i guess i could have said um, one entry and exit room um <laughs> oh no <laughs> um yeah uh but i i will say like from a you know to go back to one of our previous uh, i guess questions from the perspective of a home game versus a stream game or, or any game that's designed to be uh i guess publicly consumed by an audience you mm-hmm. know um that's harder to do to oh, just yeah. turn around and go, I don't like that. Can we retcon that? I'm not saying that you can't do that. You definitely you should do that if you're doing this. You definitely this. should. But I probably but... wouldn't if it was being streamed because, yeah. let's be honest, the first version is more drama, too. Sure. It's more dramatic, but I think the solution is, you know, as a team putting on a production... Mm-hmm. It pays, even if it ends up being, at, you know, you want to keep the spoilers away from your players, of course. You want it to be feel genuine, uh, if that's what you're going for, for the production. Uh, but I think it's worth at least having minor spoilers to make sure all the plot points are in a row so that that kind of thing doesn't happen for a stream game. Or plot point, or, or spoilers just between the GM and an individual player. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, I've asked you questions about your character's wife. Because yeah. in the story, you were like, I'm going to have, like, two really, really dramatic core elements to my character. One, I got separated from my father figure, only to later find out he was killed. Two, the love of my life, Christina, my wife, the one who brought out the humanity in me, literally, like, the story you wrote— the only one who could bring out the warmth inside Adrian's cold heart. That's not what she wrote. That's what I wrote in my mind. But, um, <laughs> and I was like, how do I bring in this person? And we basically determined that you're dropping all these hints that your wife was kidnapped and taken to this land. So now I was like, you have a reason to stick with this party because they're also going to the Daniel's Fantasy China. And uh, I think a brilliant Daniel's plot <laughs> twist with Adrian's wife, Christina, is that they did meet. Again, on one of your escapades, on one of the escapades, they did meet and she has now become like him, not in the sense that she's also a dampier, but because she's become in many ways cold and unfeeling as the trauma of a violent filled life has sunk in in his absence because she's been forced to engage in a life of brutality, you know, so the the story because we have discovered this already. Yeah, the story is that. Your character's wife, Christina, was looking for a cure for your vampirism. Kind of like, and again, 
it baffles me that you made this character having never seen Blade. <laughs> because you, because well, you have now, but you have, have now, now. Have but now. this entire time I was like, oh, this is just Whistler, and you were like, who's Whistler? I'm like, we took a night off for playing D and D to watch Blade, Blade. <laughs> <laughs> because you're like, oh, I'm a dampier who's got this edgy past. I don't have too many attachments, and I do martial arts. I'm like, this is just Asian Blade. But then your character's like, it's not Asian. I'm like, this is just White Blade. <laughs> yeah. Just Blade. <laughs> so, um, uh. so basically what happened was Christina was looking for a cure for your vampirism. And she had gone to this fantasy China and through you know research had found that this one potential sacred flower might be the, a, a potential cure. And was caught trying to steal it. And the king of this fantasy Chinese analog basically was like, ah, yes, plausible deniability. Uh, you are bound to you know, serve me and I'm going to use you as my assassin. And I am going to have you go around with my secret police and take out my enemies. And if you get caught and if you die, so be it. They'll just blame the white people, not the Asian people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, and now she's caught up, and she is now thinking, "Well, I have to do this because I can be close to more uh, like these resources that are in the the like the, the palace in the capital to try to still help you out." So she is kind of becoming this cold-hearted killer to try to fulfill this mission to help you. And at the same time, is sacrificing her own humanity to give you more humanity. Yeah, which is obviously not not what he wants. Because when when he saw his wife for the first time in like what what did we say two years yeah. something like that. yeah you got fucking years. smacked around yeah yeah when he saw her for the first time in two years and they spoke he wasn't looking at him at, at his wife that he knew he was looking at a mirror. Because she had started acting in the same way he normally acted, you know, which is just very detached, very, very cold, very objective driven. The I'll do whatever it takes to do X or Y. And if that means sacrificing myself, so be it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and he did not like that. I'm very, very upset by this. I'm very proud of that scene and how it worked out for the rest of the group, too, because what ended up happening was you went on a spree and you were like, I want to go after people of all different socioeconomic levels. And at the final one, you were like, I'm going to target this noble. And this noble also happened to be a target for Christina. And when you showed up, there were all of these assassins there. They impaled you on these blades and were like holding you down. And this masked sort of leader with these crossbows came out, realizing it was you. There was this connection between your eyes. You were like, these are eyes I, I've seen before, but not in a long time. She sees you recognizing who you are and just ices both of the uh, assassins who she was with, sees you, and just pistol whips you and, and, and leaves you. Um, I, you know, she she killed her friends and then punched me in the face. And I'm like, that, that's my wife. <laughs> that's my wife. And then, oh, yeah. And then you were like, I got to get out of here. So you leave, you return to the hotel, and you were just like, Oh my god, my wife's still alive. There were these assassins. And then the news breaks in the morning. There's been a vampire attack. 
Five people have been attacked. Hey, Koyuki, you've killed a vampire before. There's another one. And everybody's like, yeah. Shit. I will say he did absolutely nothing to help. No, he didn't do anything now <laughs> because, again, he was there by accident in the first place. Um, yeah. Oh, there's a group of people. Wonder what they're doing. Oh, it's a vampire. <laughs> Kill it. And it's over. Um, but yeah, I'm just super proud of like the group in general. I think, you know, there have certainly been a lot of there's been a lot of balancing with like the cultural sort of signifiers that I want to put in the game world and the you know the, the I guess the expectations uh, that I have to put on my uh, self and the expectations I have of my players I don't expect everyone to know what these things are um, so that that I sometimes wonder if I'm ruining things by knowing what some stuff is no I'm <laughs> I'm revealing stuff knowing that you know so okay. <laughs> when I'm dropping something and you know the Japanese analog I'm doing that intentionally uh, there is one thing that I'm, I'm I'm bummed about because I dropped this thing for you folks, and then you just let them go. <laughs> the the jingle snakes. Um, yeah, because you had two of the high ranking secret police come on board and be like, "Give us that." What are yeah, we supposed to do? I I know I should have done that, but <laughs> I was like, no. "Oh, it's this cool." It's there are these snakes that that are that eat gold and jade, and they're attracted to treasure. Um, yeah, I loved them and I wanted to keep them, but you sent the secret police after us. <laughs> yeah, I thought you I thought you folks might have put in a little bit more effort to keep them, that's all. I mean, um, I mean, Adrian was not going to care whatsoever. He was just like, yeah, get them off the they're eating my gold. Get them off the they boat. They were my friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, oh, you know what another thing that I'm actually really proud of that has worked really well for this is the fact that we've been like, "Oh, your gold pieces aren't good here." And then you're like, fuck, we don't have the right money. Um, mm, yeah. Because that's one thing you don't think about in, in D&D. It's like, does my money work here? What's the exchange rate of of gold pieces to fantasy yeah. you on? I um, haven't had that problem yet because we haven't been paying for things ourselves. No, you haven't. And you we've got... also not been getting paid for anything either. No, it's no, true. that's true. Yeah. Um, but maybe down the line. Um, but that said, we've, we've got one other question from Kat. Shout out to Kat. Um, moderator extraordinaire um cat shout out to you for making that list of uh any nom nom nominees for the server um cat said how do you manage to be so awesome as to have multiple any emmy nominated products <laughs> any nominated products in one year please don't say by not sleeping also congratulations the answer is not sleeping um yeah. haunted west though i worked on haunted west like before the pandemic um so that was a long time ago and uh Jiangxi also um just know that if daniel ever says he's taking a break he's not we'll talk about that he's just shifting focus i'm he's shifting focus else, yeah. uh we'll talk about it later uh, i actually crashed and burned last night i just i just woke i just remember waking up this morning and be like oh i'm in bed um it had happens <laughs> Uh, but Kat actually had a more serious question is, what is one thing you find sets apart a game with Asian themes from one that solely has Asian aesthetics? Um, and I think that's just like the entirety of like Asians represent. Uh, on one end, it's like, who is your intended audience? If your intended audience are folks who just like, I just really love street samurai in my cyberpunk setting. Well, you're going to get what you get with that, right? Um, if you just like the aesthetic, if you just like um, 
I just want my characters to look like they have samurai armor, but I don't want to have actual samurai or any of that sort of sort of social stratification and uh, feudal like Japanese feudalism. I don't want to have any of that. I just want the look. Well, you're essentially going to get what Oriental Adventures is, and you're going to have something that's removed from its source. I, I think a thing to add on to this question, or I guess this, my answer to this question is that. How are the aesthetics used? Um, because, for instance, probably the most egregious one that we've seen on Asians represent have been chopsticks in Oriental Adventures. And having chopsticks listed as a fucking weapon. <laughs> and in the equipment yeah. section, um, with damage. And for me, that's the best example of what sets this apart um, because you have this thing that is being used as a prop as an aesthetic by somebody who clearly doesn't know that they're just eating utensils they don't need to be a weapon because we don't see in the player's handbook spoons we don't see that fork yeah fork oh, fork spork spork, spork. Like, uh, that would have been published before Jetley's Kiss of the Dragon movie where he kills someone with chopsticks. You could kill some, <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they didn't make a John Wick game. Well, I guess if I made a John Wick game, I would make a pencil a weapon, but that's different. Sure. But that is where the themes and the lore go with the aesthetic. Uh, but yeah, I think chopsticks are a big example of, you know, removing something from its intended use and origin to being like, oh, I like these two portable sticks and I want to use them as weapons. Um, for me, one with Asian themes also goes down to mechanics. So, for instance, one I think that does this poorly because is L5R. We talked about it a lot, the use of honor and the honor mechanics and honor in Oriental Adventures as well. Uh, I kind of think of that as an aesthetic as well. Uh, it's less of a theme because they don't actually use it properly. Um, you think of Asian honor and you're like, I'm going to mechanize it. A game that does mechanize Asian themes really well is a game like uh, Jiangshu Blood in the Blank Banquet Hall. It talks about that sort of Asian immigrant experience, that diaspora experience. They have the, the Jiangshu, like the actual creature itself. And everything of that game, even around like the two D8s, the, the actual double happiness, the two D8s, uh, and the use of D8s in that game is really well done because you're not only taking Asian themes and mechanics and an aesthetic, but you're marrying them all into one. And when you have synergy between mechanics, you know, themes and these aesthetics, then you're you get a quality product. Um, I don't know if you folks have anything else. Um, you know, I would say, yeah, taking a lot of aspects of of life, um, which is incredibly broad. Uh, are separated into kind of two things. Um, human universals and specifics. Universals are things that we find everywhere. You know, er pretty much everyone has a concept of, uh, you know, what a, a family is, you know. But at the same time, we each have our own specific interpretation of what that means to us. In the same way that, you know, someone in, in China has, you know, a concept of a family in the same way that someone who's from the U.S. has a concept of a family, but the specifics around that universal are what give it context. 
you know, things like cultural impacts and, and environment and, and, you know, religion uh, expectations, because those are what make something like a, you know, U.S. family in the suburbs from someone who, you know, has grown up in, let's just say, like, Hong Kong with her family all their life would, would make them different. You know, all those little specifics. So taking those specifics, like an aesthetic or like a specific, like a chopstick, and setting it adrift from all the other ones just causes confusion and misrepresentation. You know, it, it can be frustrating if you're trying to write stuff, and, and I understand that, but, you know, because you don't want to necessarily feel like you're just taking word for word, like Chinese culture, and then just placing the word fantasy in front of it, you know? we want to change things we want to you know fantasize about what could be but you when you take one specific without taking the rest of them you do the whole thing a disservice you know so you have to be very careful about what you are uh changing or what you're leaving behind what you're cherry picking what context you're actively removing and that goes back to audience mattering right who are you designing for what liberties are you going to take what things are you going to drop and you have to be so careful about choosing what is going to be omitted Mm -hmm. and you have to be really purposeful about it yeah because when you look at something like oriental adventures someone who looks at the product from the perspective of you know someone from the white western world Mm-hmm. sees the specifics you, that the authors did take with them. But many of us from that heritage or from that culture see what you also left behind or you got rid of. You know, we see the the blank spots between the words, the things that you left out mm-hmm. and why that loses the context of what you are trying to bring along with you. Yeah. When, yeah. When, yeah. It's tough because if too much context is lost, like, the difference between like a theme and like a skin or just an aesthetic like one's deeper one's surface only so when you lose some of that context or look at like yeah the what purpose it serves as daniel said and if it's only there to make a character or a place seem exotic or different or strange that's a that's a red flag like if you want to take on certain features like dress and appearance and cultural habits just to make your character stand out or be out of place or use that as a point of interest within their background or their character that's a that's not the right reason to be including those things. <laughs> I this is just like taking it back. I watched this video yesterday. You know how you know how GQ does these videos? It's like, oh, a real life this is critiquing depictions of it in mm-hmm. film. I watched this one, and it's this uh this Japanese bladesmith. Um he's a Japanese American bladesmith. He makes really cool knives. Follow him on Instagram. Uh, I think it's R R um RPN Neil. Um I you follow him i love that guy so he he did it rpm neil rpm i got it right right rpm neil yeah Um, okay he's awesome uh he made the blades for that uh apple tv show with jason momoa um what's that one where everyone is is blind um 
shit. But he he's a bladesmith. But anyways, he made they they had him do this video and he critiqued this scene from a Mark Wahlberg movie. I think it's called Infinite, and it's Mark Wahlberg trying to forge a katana. And it's I'm just like, oh. And they just want they just it's this movie about like Mark Wahlberg is just some sort of like immortal white samurai. I don't know. It's a new movie. Uh, but it's Mark Wahlberg with a katana, and it like really threw me off. Um, but that's another example of like using that as an aesthetic. Um, but uh, yeah, a-, a lot to think about with these questions. I want to be mindful of time because I know that uh, Drew, you you are actually going to be late for your T and D game. No, no, I'm good. Are you are you good? Um, yeah, yeah. We'll, okay, we'll, we, we got we got to put in our two hours. Okay, we'll put in our two hours. Um, <laughs> Another thing that clock I clock out, you know, clock, clock in and clock out. Um, <laughs> God. Uh, another thing that I wanted to talk about is is really circling back to Elijah's question. And I wasn't lying. If you're watching this or listening, Elijah, when I said your question is very much going to be the topic of this episode. And it's not because you asked a question. I went like Emma said, hashtag content. Um, that was not the case. I had already planned this, but um, you kind of kicked my butt into doing it right away um you said advice for another young asian creator who wants to write ttrpg settings one is to you know find peers and find mentors and ask them questions uh we've talked about playtesting in a home game and playtesting with folks who aren't asian to see if they understand these things and to see if the themes you are trying to communicate are understandable and you minimize the potential for them to be twisted into caricatures. Really important to play test with folks who aren't Asian. Uh, and not to say that I have, you know, Mark and Kendra in my home game for that reason. I love them both. It just happened to work out that way. So that's one thing. Have t- play testing with folks who are not Asian. Second thing is like having peers and mentors. The third one is related to having peers and mentors. And it's when you get to a point where you have opportunity, it is so important for folks to share opportunities in this because often we tend to operate with a scarcity mindset. We think, well, I have to be the only Asian. I am the alpha Asian. Um, And that's not the case (laughs) because you ultimately do your community a disservice when you take on work you aren't qualified for, or you misrepresent like an Asian culture, like you folks have heard me talk about with my first experience, um, the one, one that I deeply regret taking because of the, because of the money. Um, so one thing that I cannot stress enough is that if you are a marginalized creator, one, A, no, you're not alone in the, in the space, right? When you are working, when you are creating, you have to be your most authentic self. While doing that, while working on your projects, while you're on that grind, while you're trying to make it, you also have to uplift others. You have to shout out everyone else's work. You have to provide opportunities to good people. Uh, because I get a ton of inquiries. Daniel, can you do this? And I will say, no, but I know someone who can. I'll give you Emma's email. Or, and then I'll, I'll message him and be like, hey, can I give you, can I give your email to this person? Or like, hey, you're looking for writers. I know somebody who hasn't done anything yet and is great. And yeah, they don't have credits, but I know I can vouch for the quality of their work. Here's true. 
And then when you get hey, other people, up? and then when you get other people who are working on projects with you or getting other people who are getting a chance to enrich the industry, sure, those opportunities aren't yours. But you are showing companies that there is a massive community of Asian creators who are out there. People will start thinking and looking beyond you. And that's okay because as a marginalized creator, we need to ensure that they know that, that we are not these monoliths. And so when you are creating, again, make connections with people, play test your work with those who are not Asian because they may also be customers. They may also be purchasing and consuming your content. And the last one is make sure that you bring others up with you because that is just so, so goddamn important. Um, but uh, I don't know how I, I got to that tangent. Um, <laughs> just advice for young creators. Oh, yeah, just a, a advice. Um, that said, one thing that I am super grateful for is the fact that we were even able to take this break. And the reason we were able to take this break was because of our amazing patrons. Um, shout out to our, our amazing patrons, because even though we were on a break last month, I was still making content for Asians Represent. I was still working on things. I have the first two episodes of Dungeons and Asians Revenge of the Mountain Orchid plotted out in a flowchart. I've got like all these arrows and, and, and I'll show I'll show, I'll show you two afterwards what I did. I'm really proud of it. Of course you will. You're going <laughs> um, to show us all of your charts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Um, but uh, one thing that we've been able to do because of our amazing patrons is experiment with content. And one thing that I'm going to try doing more of is actually creating short form content. Uh, there are actually two sort of experimental videos on the channel right now. Uh, if you go to, you know, youtube.com slash, you know, AZNS represent, uh, you'll see that there are YouTube shorts. So YouTube has its own sort of platform that kind of competes with TikTok uh, and Instagram reels uh, called shorts. And it's any vertical video that is less than 60 seconds in length. And so I'm going to try doing that more. Um, I, uh, I made one uh, and it's like, what's a cultural consultant? Because I want to make a YouTube short for every single question we get asked all the time. What's a cultural consultant? Here's the link. Watch this 60 minute video, 60 minutes, 60 second video. I want to eventually do one. 60 minutes. Whoa. 60 minutes. That's <laughs> YouTube honestly, short is an YouTube, hour long. I mean, a, a 60 minute YouTube short Asians represent video is short by our standards. That's um, true, yeah. So I wasn't lying. But yeah, we have that one on cultural consultants. And then I um, I made a, uh, what did I make that second one on? Oh, I made a second one on review on Emberwind. So I want to, one thing is that we we just simply can't, I just don't have the bandwidth to feature as many games as we'd like. And a lot of folks will DM me and be like, hey, can I talk about, can I come on Asians Represent to promote my game? And I have to say, that's not what we do anymore. It's just simply not what we do because A, we have more impact talking about these greater issues, these issues that are beyond an individual game. And so we don't do that anymore. So I think YouTube shorts are a great way for me to talk about all of these other games that we can't do a two hour episode on. So I'm going to try doing that more. Uh, I'm also going to just try doing stuff about stuff that I like. Uh, the company that I work for has this sort of internal rewards program. Uh, a lot of companies use this thing called bonusly. It's just like, oh, you have these internal, uh, a bank of internal points that you could just give to other 
you know, your fellow coworkers. And I just amass all of these points and I just get them as chapters gift cards um, for, yeah. for the Americans. Because I know like 90% of our audience is in America. Chapters is basically our Barnes and Nobles. And so, like, every month okay, I get, like... I had no idea what you were talking about. Yeah, I, was, I know. That's I why I was like, chapters, was. Chap chapters Indigo, Heather's Picks, Heather's the CEO. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, basically, every month I get, like, a $70, a $70 in store credit to my local bookstore. And because I have been trying to spend less time playing video games and being at my computer, I started reading manga again. Uh, I don't know if this is a good financial decision. Um, but I started reading manga again. And so I'm like, I want to make content. Well, th this is what I got in the mail today and talk about that sort of thing because uh, I get a lot of stuff in the mail and I want to talk about it. Um, so I've been reading a lot of manga and I want to do some stuff about like, hey, I really like this. I made a, a short four minute video about uh, Free Run Beyond Journey's End, one of my new favorite slice of life fantasy manga series. Um, I think I was telling you about it, Drew. Um, and it's really good. If you're into D&D and you want a change in perspective, you got to read that series. Um, volume 5 just came out in English. It was just released. Um, and because I only read manga totally the legal way, um, I have to get them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I want to try making more short-form content. I know that, Emma, you want to do some short-form stuff. Like, you're not going to do what is Orientalism in 60 seconds, but you're like, I could do 10 minutes. And I'm like, I'm down. We'll produce. We'll make Five it. to 10 minute definitions of difficult terms of words that we also get asked about a lot. So yeah, Orientalism, diaspora. I want to do model. I want to do, I want to try to model do minority model minority in 60 seconds. That's what I'm going to try doing. Um, well. <laughs> well, good luck, Daniel. But that said, you know, our patrons have been really great and you folks have kind of seen me work on this process behind the scenes. Uh, and so I plan on doing more of that. I want to try to release more short form content. Some of it might be like, Hey, I was at breakout con and I was like, ah, people. Um, other times I'd be like, Hey, this is a game I really like. I have a queue of RPGs um, that I want to talk about. And we now have a way of doing it. And it's all because of our amazing patrons. Um, and, Special shout out to, you know, our guardians, uh, Brooke, our, our Pathfinder GM who puts up with all of my really crude shit, Jeremy Pixel Grotto. <laughs> <laughs> um, although I think Jeremy also enables a lot of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we all enable each other's like strange characters. Uh, Drew, yeah. you're going to really love what happened to your character when you were away last session. Um BG yeah, here I'm, I'm about to be sacrificed. I yeah, don't know, something like that. Yeah, I'm gonna be sacrificed. It's totally okay. Yeah, I'm having a bad time apparently, which yeah, is but, typical um, for my characters. Yeah, but uh, shout out to Jeremy, Daisy, Arjun, Justin, uh, Wayan, uh, Kavi, uh, Matt, Namix, and Jay. Uh, thank you for your support, and thank you to our most honorable patrons. Now I know that every episode of Agents Represent, I bring out Marla. Marla is not gonna be here for this one. Not because Marla, they think like Marla's not here. Um, Marla was sick today. Marla wasn't having a good day. I don't know why. She was just like super Aww. scared and wouldn't come downstairs. And then she barfed and pooped on the floor. Aww. Not at the same time. At least we don't think so. Just, oh, okay. Blah. okay. Both ends. <laughs> Both ends. But um, just know that Marla... I was guessing Marla's thinking of you. Marla's not thinking of you when she was doing that. Um, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, Marla, Marla is in a mood, and we don't want to have Marla poop and puke again. 
just know that Fair. when Marla's having a good mood, she's thinking of our most honorable patrons. Uh, shout out to Metal Weave Games, Valorous Games, Dungeon Glitch <laughs> slash Matt slash Matt, at the most honorable times two epic impulse whose question we got i want more questions from you dude and and bob thank you for your support we really appreciate you um and of course emma and drew thank you for for joining me for episode 55 of the podcast uh this is one of 11 episodes of this season because last season we were short an episode we only did nine episodes that's my fault uh so uh (laughs) so this is one of 11 for this season of Asians Represent. Next episode, we're going to be going into something super serious, and we're going to talk about Karatour again. And we're finally going to do our Does Wizards Need to Bring Karatour Back? That's going to be the episode. We've got two hours to do it on a Friday evening. And um, after that, we're doing another episode that I'm super hyped about. Um, I'm still looking. I've got one guest, but I'm looking for two maybe one or two more guests i was going to ask navar um but we're going to do an episode on uh black exploitation like black exploitation cinema and asian sort of kung fu cinema and the spread of that in north america and how the two have been extremely um interwoven not only in like production and style but also in shared themes so really excited to talk about that so those are the next two episodes caratour and then black exploitation it's gonna be, we. It's gonna be a great season, and um, I really, you know, am grateful for our patrons for making that happen. And again, if folks, if you have an episode or a theme that you want to talk about, or you just let us know, let us know on Discord. Uh, Emma's one of our amazing mods. Drew is our Discord community manager. Um, what up? So uh, we're doing some great things. I haven't been in a Discord server as much lately, and I apologize. I'm going to try to come in there. Maybe maybe I'll play some video games in there tonight. I don't know. Emma, Drew, do you want to play some video games after the stream? Do oh, wait, Drew, you got D&D. I mean, sorry. You got D&D. I'm sorry. Drew's going to play like I mean, I'm already late. In for a penny, in for a pound. You yeah. Know? <laughs> sorry, fam. I can't come. Podcast is over. I'm playing Battlefield. <laughs> I got to play Battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to play Battlefield with my other friends. We play D&D and podcast together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I often use Asians represent as an excuse to not go to work events. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I've got a podcast. i got to talk about D&D. It's, it's, uh, I, I wish I didn't have to, but I have to do this thing. Um, but that said, thank you folks for joining us for this episode back. I'm, uh, I'm hyped that we're here, and uh, I'm hyped that everyone was here with us. Uh, we will see you next time. And, uh, yeah, see you in two weeks for... Should Watsi bring Karatour back? Spoiler, the answer is no. Bye, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everyone.